What do you do when Christianity hasn't lived up to your expectations and the church, which is supposed to be a place of healing, instead has left deep and permanent wounds? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And joining me today is Lena Abu-Jamra, author of Fractured Faith, a very personal account of Lena's near deconstruction of her faith. As you'll hear, Lena was on staff at a multi-site megachurch in the Chicago area. Everything was going right. She was in the inside circle and friends with the well-known pastor and his wife. People were getting saved. Her Bible teaching ministry was taking off. And then she saw corruption at the top. And rather than look the other way and stay, Lena left. And slowly, over the next few months and years, the pain set in, and her faith began to falter. Where is God in the middle of our pain? How can Christians act in such cruel and callous ways? And what do you do when your story turns out the opposite of what you wanted or expected? I'm going to explore these questions with Lena, but first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me today is Lena Abu-Jamra, a pediatric ER doctor who's now practicing telemedicine. She's also the founder of Living With Power Ministries, and she's the author of several books, including her latest, Fractured Faith. So, Lena, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you. It's always fun to be with you, Julie. And I should mention before we dive in uh, that we are offering your book, Fractured Faith, as our premium for the month of October. For anybody who gives a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you Lena's book. So if you'd like to support this ministry and also uh, get this book that I think is just an awesome resource, just go to julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash donate. That's julieroys, dot com slash donate. So, Lena, um, just so excited that you've written this book. I know that there are so many people that have experienced church hurt, deep church hurt, and I know that's mm-hmm. what you've been through, and that's where uh, this book comes from, this this place of real pain and, and really angst that, that you went through. And uh, as I understand it, your church hurt story uh, comes from your experience with a church and a pastor I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with, <laughs> uh, Harvest Bible Just Chapel. Just a little. You, you don't name it. You don't name the church or James McDonald in your book, um, but that's who you're talking about. And and I know this story because we've talked, we're right. friends, but also because you gave this incredible talk uh, mm. at our Restore Conference in 2019, and you're coming back to the Restore Conference in 2022 uh, uh, in May. And in fact, we just put up the website so people uh, can start Great. to register. Uh, I'm just so excited about that. But I'm, I'm excited about you sharing your story because it's from this really raw and vulnerable place. And so let's just start there. Um, would you describe your position, what you were doing at Harvest, and kind of how everything started com- coming to light and you began to realize, hmm, 
something's not right. So I was practicing medicine, but really my attention wasn't on writing medical papers. It was now on Bible study. And so I had these, this bivocational life without really a second vocation because I was a woman in a conservative complementarian system without true, you know, <laughs> Bible tra- training, which is a whole nother, you know, story. But, but I trusted God. There was so much faith in my heart that somehow God would just figure that out. And so I stepped out in faith in 2002, came to Chicago. Uh, I didn't think I'd end up in Chicago. I thought I'd stay where, where I was very involved in a church, but the Lord very clearly brought me to Chicago. And I lived through sort of a very difficult season in the first few years in Chicago. So I, I genuinely like struggled understanding, okay, God, I feel like you really want me to be in, in this calling and, and I can't find my place. And so after about five or six, well, early in my time in Chicago, I remember going to Harvest Bible Chapel because they had a big um, a meeting of counselors or something. And my mom was into counseling stuff at the time. Uh, she is a, a biblical counselor. And, and so I remember going with her and, and the James McDonald effect uh, wooed me at that time. And I think anyone who's gone mm. through some of those celebrity driven, you know, mega churches understands that whether it's Mark Driscoll or Brian Houston or whoever it is, that's like the leader. I think there is something about the presence of a strong charismatic leader that sort of blinds you. And so I remember just him making an impression in his, in his preaching. And my heart was ready for strong preaching for a movement of spirit, but it was a very far church at the time I lived in the city. So I didn't go there a few years later, I would call every few months and found out that they had opened a campus near the city. And I started going to the Niles campus and it was really like a true moment season of revival in my heart. Like I felt after so many dry years of of, of wrestling with, okay, God, like you, you want me to serve you and I'm here, but there's nothing there. Harvest was the answer to that dryness. And, and mm. I think this is critical because I think because of that, you overlook a lot for a long time and for a long time it was good. And so I went from, from that, you know, very quickly, you know, the energy there was very, you know, you look back now and you see even that is not normal and, and not in a good way, but when you're in it, it feels like something big was happening at that church. Like there was a movement and a swell, something bigger than you that is so luring and it almost supersedes. I mean, you tell yourself that's revival, that's Christianity. Maybe, maybe there are components of it, but it takes on a life of its own. So that now, like this charismatic leader becomes even more elevated in your mind. And every, you know, there's this inner circle that you long to be near because you would watch it in the hallways of the church. People would literally like reach to touch this person. And you don't even notice that you're sucked into this vortex of that. And so years went by. And I think at some course, I started teaching a Bible thing. And, and then that led to eventually, long and short, I, I became the woman's ministry director. And it, and it, it was a season when I was on the sort of what you would call, I was on the road to the inside circle and becoming the woman's director sort of sealed the deal. I had some friends who were on the inside. And, 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 and why do I even tell this? I mean, I haven't gone into all these details yet on an interview, but I think this is so relevant to why leaving was so stinking hard. Because it because it, it it didn't feel like you were just going to church. It felt like you were part of God's thing, and and to mm. tease out those two things is extremely hard to do. And when people even now they talk about those systems that tend to be abusive, and you overlook a lot of badness when something's so much bigger than when you think, at least in your brain, you think what's happening around you is so much bigger than you, so much better than you, and something that will suck you up to the heavens, so to speak. You know, like and all these dreams that I had, all this calling that I felt, all this energy that I 
wanted to serve Jesus with, I felt like we're so tied in at that point to what was happening in the church. And I couldn't see, by the time I started seeing some cracks in the foundation, of course, there were people who whose eyes were opened and they were able to sort of tease out all of the, what's happening there because they had more information. And as they started giving the members more information through blogs that were deemed evil, I mean, at some point, people started reading them. And at some point, you started asking questions. And that was, of course, the elephant's death. And at some point, there was enough things happening in the uh, culture of the leadership that led you to kind of, as you were reading these things, go, well, that actually did happen. And so I think this is where like your eyes are open is you would read these stories and go, well, this isn't really a lot like the inside circles tell you these are lies, but you're kind of going, I can't reconcile it to be a lie because I've seen it. And there's a point where you kind of have two things in the weights and the balances. You've got, you've got, you know, what's being written and you've got your experience and, and you're sort of like, at some point you realize like, and what you're being told and you realize that the truth is actually like in favor of, of these, what was deemed as the ugly liar disunifying blogs. And, and so when, when that happens, when the switch comes on in your brain, I think there's a lot of things that, that, that you have to come to terms with. And, and one is um, what do you really believe about God? And, 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 and are you part of a movement or are you part of a faith that follows a savior named Jesus? And I think there's also a recognition in that moment that leaving would potentially mean the destruction of your dream. And I think that was why it was so hard for me to leave. I think in hindsight, people ask at the time, even when I left, people ask, what would you have done differently? And I always say, I probably would have left six months sooner if I had the maturity to have done that. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I really think I was scared. And, and then on the other side, I say, had I known how bad the years after would be, I'm still not sure I would have left. So there's sort of this mixed bag in your heart. On one hand, I think Man, I should have left sooner, but it takes so much courage to walk against Again, not just a system that also ends up shunning you. And, and, and partially they go, well, you left, you deserve to be shunned. And you're part of you going, well, I did leave. I guess I do deserve to be shunned. And so you start carrying a lot of that, that angst and shame. And, and, and then you feel just like, like you're God's stepchild. And you don't understand, like God, you, it's, it plays a mind game on you. You start thinking, well, God, do you prefer them? Are they the better Christians? Or There was a point where I even wondered, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Because it, it makes sense. Like if we're both God's children, why are they... I don't get it. Like, why can't we just fix this? Where, why, why, why is this continuing? And why do I feel so lonely and so isolated? And, and really like, as if I did something wrong when really, I didn't feel like I did do anything wrong. I just read, well, you know, the situation I, 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 yeah, I read the, the data, like, you know, it's like a physician who gets the, the data. And at some point I had to make a diagnosis and I felt like the diagnosis was that there was corruption and that if I stayed, it would not be good for my soul. Well, you did something right. Well, I know. You had the courage to do something. And and I do think there is a unique dynamic that was at Harvest and is at really toxic, dysfunctional systems where um, if you leave, it's like the Hotel California or something, you know, you feel like you can never leave. But then once you leave, uh, everybody shuns you. That's not normal. I've left churches before. I actually left a church once because doctrinally they they shifted pretty majorly. And, and we just couldn't affirm it anymore. And they actually brought us up in front of the church and blessed our family and gave us an opportunity to say kind of this is where we just can't we, we can't affirm what's going on. And they actually prayed for us and blessed us as we left. I mean, that was probably the best. I mean, it actually uh, restored my belief in church the way that they handled it. But again, in those sorts of this systems, I, I have to say that your experience— of being shunned is probably more typical of people who have left church than 
than the ones I've had. I agree. And I, well, and I, I think, and this is again, and part of why I think it didn't matter whether I named the church or not. And this is why what, like I've, right now in 2021, we're recording this, hearing a lot of the podcasts right now, there's a popular podcast on Christianity today, the rise and fall Marcel's and um, why these stories are riveting. I don't think it matters whether it was Mark Driscoll or James or Bill or who, I mean, there's plenty of them right now. The problem is that I think there is a bigger cultural dynamic taking place in our eyes. And we're all, and I, I, I think hearing that Mark Driscoll podcast, what, what has been the biggest take home message to me and sort of coming out with this book and he, is the, co- the communal aspect of an, almost like an entire generation. I'd say more than a generation that seem to have been victims of a church movement of the past 15 years that is simple, that looked good, that seemed mm-hmm. to have good fruit, but was rotten at the core. Yeah. And I think that is the celebrity, the evangelical celebrity machine, yep. culture, whatever you want to call it. It It is pretty rotten to the core as yeah. we're discovering. And, you know, are there some mega churches out there that might be good? You know, there, there probably are, um, right. but I would say there's, there sure are an awful lot that aren't, and there sure are pressures within right. that system that seem to encourage everything that's bad in a person instead of affirming and encouraging what is good and godly. And so I, I think, again, I think this is why your book is so important is because there are yeah. so many who say, I've, I've had that experience. And yeah. one of the things that I thought was really interesting, you wrote in your book that you used to think that church hurt was a wound that would leave a scar that would eventually get better. Now you think it's more like a latent infection. But explain that, what you mean by that and how that's played out in your life. I think there are elements of the style of church that flare you up. Or you'll see someone from the old church. And so, and you realize, so those latent infections, like, like, like herpes or like mono, and I don't mean to be sick about it, but it's a fact, like you have, like Mm -hmm. uh, you have the virus living in you and given the right amount of stress, it flares up. And so people get cold sores in the same fashion. And so I think this is sort of becoming more evident to me is as much as I want to tell people, well, if you do these five things, you're sure to get us, you know, healing. I think it's, I think the Christian walk is more nuanced, more complicated, but, but not in a bad way. Where I used to think that was sort of frustrating, I think I value it now. And this has probably been the richness of the journey is I, I see that Jesus isn't so black and white. And I, and I mean, I, and I say it with, I get that there's sin is black, you know, holiness is white. Like I get that there's orthodoxy. I don't mean that, but I think his, I think that grace is so big. And so, and I think, and I think that relationship with Christ demands a continuing drawing to him. And I think when those things flare you up, there's a, there's a recheck of your spirit, like what's happening here. So it's not like we want the Christian life to be, Oh, I walked down the aisle. I gave my life to Jesus. I'm saved. It's all good. This is why so many American Christians are frustrated with Christians in general are frustrated with sanctification because it's not a one-time done all right. We like, Oh yeah, I'm holy now. Why do I keep sinning? Well, because we're human. And I think, you know, with church hurt, I just get a, a nauseous feeling sometimes still. And I and, and I think the other thing that I've noticed, and I think this is another way that the quote unquote infection presents itself. I find it, I have to really like remember the Lord when I hear a leader, because I think we've become more skeptical of leadership in general, by the way. I don't think you have to have gone through church hurt. I think watching the layout, I think this is a new symptom of American Christians is that we are not that trusting of leaders. And if we now I've become much more cautious in going to church, it takes a lot for me to just like, you know, like now when I hear there's a special offering, like I have to really hear from God about it. 
you know, like I've become much more, where are you spending the money? You know, like the money factor is really sort of burned a lot of people. And so I see these changes in me and sometimes I'm bothered by them. I think there was a more of a naivety before a freshness to the spirit. And I think those leaders will account for some of that, 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 that many like me now get, cannot look at church, you know, financial, you know, whatever the campaigns that they do without some level of cynicism. And and rightfully so, they should be cynical because they were, they were, they were, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me. Once. And there's a point where you're like, wake <laughs> right. up, you know, but, but those are all elements of, you know, you almost have to intentionally remind yourself like God does love the local church. And so now, you know, how do you play out submitting to authority in the local church? I find that to be one of the biggest transitional changes that I, I found to be, to be, just hard. And I think, and, and not just personally, but I see it in American Christianity. We're not people who are going to be easily subdued. And so how will God subdue us? I don't know. And I think this is the part that I ponder sometimes like, God, how is the church as a whole changing? And while there's a lot of good things happening, I think there's a lot of um, uh, like uh, Christians that are just floating around that don't go anywhere. They have no sense of, and, and on a positive note, they don't have anybody telling them what to do on a negative note. They have no connection to humans or lonelier than we've ever been. We've got a lot of like weights on our shoulders that nobody's there to carry with us. And, and I, it's hard to look at a person who's been wounded by the church and say, well, get right back in the church. And it's all going to be fine because, because that wound flares up again when you're in that setting. And so they're just so guarded and protective. And so, and so I, I, I hope that this understanding that I think in the book, if anything, I think what I gave is words to the hurt. And the, and I think, by the way, that was probably what made that talk at your conference so powerful. I think it, I think I just got us been able to use, because I felt those things so deeply, he's been able to give me words to feelings that sometimes are hard to express because it's easier to shove them down and ignore them and get on with a Christian life and read your Bible, memorize five verses and show up to the next small group meeting, but you just have nothing left inside and you don't feel the fire of Jesus in you anymore. Well, and I think too, you gave license to, to say it. To, to say how you feel, to just be raw, to just be vulnerable, to say, I really didn't want to give this talk. <laughs> I didn't want right. to be here. And, and, and it still hurts, and I'm still processing through. Um, so I think, I think that's a big part of it. Um, but you mentioned, I think it's really sort of a catch-22, that those of us who have been through church hurt, and, and uh, you know, I talked about it recently on your podcast uh, about how I've gone through it now, a, yeah. a church that I thought we would stay at the rest of our life. Um, there were a number of things, but the, kind of the last straw for us was a sex abuse uh, scandal that was not, it was covered up, you know, mm. it wasn't told to the church till two years after this guy was charged. I mean, it was, it, it was bad. And, and so we lost trust in leadership. And, and after I'd reported, I'd reported so many uh, mm. stories with bad church leaders and bad churches, but I had my little cocoon. So I was cool, you know, right. I was okay. Right. Um, but now it's like, ugh. Again, disappointment right. with church, disappointment, not so much. I mean, yes, leaders, um, not so much as people, because, I mean, our friends have been great yeah. throughout this whole thing. But here's the catch-22. You're suspicious of church. You're suspicious sometimes of Christians. I know you go to church and you get triggered. I remember around Easter <laughs> while I was reporting on the harvest thing, um, the church that I was at played a vertical worship song, and I'm just like, Whoa, you know, I mean, it just, it's just, I felt totally triggered by that, you know? Right. Um, but 
there are triggers. I used to love contemporary worship music. Like I used to listen to it all the time. That right. used to be like my staple when I um, when I went running was to listen yep. to contemporary worship music. I can't listen to it now. I'm just like, give me hymns. I know nobody, you know, these are, yeah. nobody's making and profiting off the royalties of right. this. I can just listen. So how do we process through, and I know your whole book is a part of processing through that, but how do we begin to push through that? you know, walking into the lobby and feeling suspicious. I think some yeah. skepticism is good, but, you know, at the same time, that's so often other people in the church is the conduit of our healing. Well, look, I think I think I talk a lot in the book about my struggle with the Lord as a result of my struggle with leadership and, I, and, and how that resolved. And I really think this is probably, in my mind, the key, which is to remember how different our Father is from any present leader that is running any church or system right now. And there's people in every faction that will swear by this leader, swear by that to this day, even, I mean, I think about people who love Franklin Graham. I mean, his dad was Billy Graham, my goodness. And you can go across the board. There are others. I mean, you just, you become, you know, and so in, in your mind, you, you, and I think this is the killer is you sort of start to see God through the lens of this leader. And I, I think mm-hmm. really, so how do you get over it? I think you just have to sort of understand like, and, I, and that doesn't excuse, that doesn't mean like you're not going to find a godly pastor. And by the way, I've met many godly pastors. I go back home to my mom's little church. The pastor I'm with now is a dear friend. I love him. But these are like, you wouldn't know these people from Adam. They're, they're true lovers of Jesus, followers of his word. They're simple. They would have been, ironically, my old church would have looked at these churches and said, oh, healthy things grow. These, these little pastors need to shut their churches because they're not growing. Right. Therefore, God doesn't mm-hmm. bless that work. And, and you know, and so and so I think you need to first of all wrestle. I think that wrestling that comes out of that hurt has to happen with the Lord. And I think you have to get to a place. For me, part of it was understanding that God hadn't disappointed, you know, the disappointment that I felt, even though I kind of related on God, because it felt like God hadn't stepped in or or taken them down in time. Even now, I listened to the Mars Hill thing. I mean, they were thousands of miles away in Seattle. I don't, I've never been there. I never heard of Mark Driscoll's sermon, believe it or not. It's a fact. I knew of him, but I've never heard an entire Mark Driscoll sermon. I'm Lebanese. I was a doctor. Wow. You know, there's a lot of factors you can say, but, but, but the fact is I feel a sense of injustice. Like, God, why didn't you shut him up when all these people were being wrongly accused? And there's a sense of, in my mind, like, fine, the people didn't see it, but you, God, you saw it. Why didn't you do something? And so mm. one of my chapters is about the fairness of God, because I really felt like, God, this isn't right or fair or just. Now, of course, now we know things have come to light, and there is a sense of vindication in that. But to me, wrestling with God and even hitting a place where I was like, I just almost stopped talking to God. So I would show up. I was still doing ministry. I prayed out loud. I did, but but inside, I just felt like there was this wall with God for a while. And the wall is because I just felt like I stopped trusting God. And so I think those wrestling mm-hmm. matches, so the person who's struggling, I think start wrestling with God. Like, don't be afraid of the conversation. Like, we're so afraid to even have a conversation with God. Well, how can you ever break down a barrier? And so, you know, God already knows what you think. And so the model to me is always this Jacob in Genesis 32. Like, he literally wrestles with God. And what I found when I've taken God to task, and I, again, I don't, I say that humbly, like, we're nothing. God could literally blink in our breath is gone from us. Like, but, but if anything, I have a bigger view of God today than I did before. And it comes out of this understanding that after all the struggle, and and this is the image that I keep going to in the book, he is a good father who is running towards us with open arms. I cannot get over that. The thoughts that I've had about him, about his people, about his leaders, about his church, I wanted nothing to do with them. And yet here he was. 
And, and I think until we get to the place where we see the goodness of God, despite the evil of the abuser, whoever that abuser might be, whether it's a pastor, whether it's your parent, whether it's your boss, I think until we can tease out the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in the face of that abuse. And I, I look back and I, I think sometimes I think I'm too proud to say I was caught up in spiritual abuse, but there is a level of spiritual abuse. I did an interview with Wade Mullen that we haven't aired yet. I don't know if it'll have aired by the time this comes out, but, but it's sort of, you know, almost like you feel sort of stupid to be like, well, I guess I was part of spiritual abuse. And like, we talk about that a bit, but like, I think you just sometimes don't say it because it feels like you're weak to admit it, but it was mm. a spiritual abusive system. And I think when you start to see God, and I think this is why I think we need to run to God with our questions, not to pastors. Not I mean, sometimes if God uses people and counselors, like if, if the person who's, you know, cause you the trauma is leadership and church, that'd probably be the worst place for you to go and get help. You might need to find a neutral party. I had, I went to a therapist or, and, and by the way, it was a therapist who's not in the vein of what I had grown up being told about the type of therapy. It was a Christian therapist, but it was a therapist who would be a little bit more integrative than I normally would go to, but I was okay with that. And I say it because I didn't need the judgment of memorize these three verses and now look at these three wounds and take this verse and apply it there. And, and while I think there may be a place for that, I needed grace. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people who err on the side of truth are afraid of this kind of grace. They think if you give people this kind of grace, somehow we'll leave the bounds of Orthodox Christianity. And I just don't think that's true because Jesus and God is the one who keeps us. And so I don't, I think we fear too much. And I think mm-hmm. if we could just let God be God. I think we do it with our relationships. We have siblings or kids or parents or whatever. We want to influence some friends, coworkers. We want to change people. We want to do this, do that. We stay after them. We feel like at every Thanksgiving, we got to heart the gospel down. Well, because we were afraid. It's driven by fear. I feel it. I have people in my life. And, mm. and, and I think we're afraid to sometimes let go. What, did, what will that look like? And I think, I think the key for me has been, you know, I mean, you know, I, I talk about a lot in the book, the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. You know, I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of the systems that have been broken in the last few years come from a background of a lot of shouting and 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 do this and do that. And, you know, and I think you see some elements that, again, we like because we want to control our faith. We want to control God. And I think there is a sense of lack of control when when you leave a church and you lose your dreams and you feel like God hasn't been there for you that that will send you reeling for reeling for a while. But if you could just get back to the spiritual disciplines, you mentioned hymns. I agree with you. I think there is a beauty to getting away from all the fanfare that has been that has been so popular, but really, how has it helped us? I think when you talk about grace and even just being a little more comfortable, maybe with things that you weren't before. I I was thinking as I was reading your book, just about this evangelical triumphalism that I think I grew up with, right? right and then right. it's it's in its grossest form in, in say, prosperity gospel, you know, your best life yeah. now. Um, but there is a sense to which if you come to Jesus, these are the stories we heard, which I still believe, you know, you come to Jesus and he just, he changes your life and there is victory over sin. There's, you know, some of these things, but at the same time, what's not told us, or at least not emphasized is that we will suffer as Christians and there is legitimate suffering. In fact, I had a friend of mine who was in ministry who said, and you know, he kind of made this up as far as a percentage, but he was like 85% of sin is just trying to escape legitimate suffering. 
And I, you know, I've thought about Good that point. as I've as I've processed a lot of what I've seen, what I've experienced, that we're not in heaven yet. Right. Yet right, we right. expect it. Like when you ask that question in, in one of the chapters of your book, you know, is is God fair? And and even, you know, what should we expect out of this life? Have we just have we embraced wrong expectations for this life? I look at even Hebrews 11, and I'm astounded in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith of the scripture. Person after person is written, but the verses that move me the most are at the end of the chapter, where it says that these have, twice actually it shows up in the, after the story of Abraham, it does give a reference to those who didn't get what they wanted, and they still lived for a promise to come. And then at the very end of the chapter, it goes through and says how these, these it gives these examples. It's almost worth looking at of these, this, these, these disciples and followers of God, Jesus who basically were sawed in two, killed, persecuted, on and on. People who didn't have their dead rise. People who all of these idolize, you know, the stories that we long for. We want our knight in shining armor. We want the cancer to be healed, the, you know, the, dead, the lame to rise. All of these things that, that make this great Hollywood story. And yet it tells us Hebrews. And those are the very verses that have given me hope. When I read about these people who, yeah, the the things didn't turn out like they wanted to, but their lives were fire for Jesus. Why? Because they saw past the things that could be seen. And, And I think, man, when did, to me, that's the biggest grievous sin of those pastors of prosperity. And, and by the way, even conservative evangelical prosperity preachers, because that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. That's, that was part of the problem at, at Harvest, is there was a prosperity message that was driven there that I think is rooted in evil. And it gives the idea of what we should be aiming for that is against scripture. We should mm-hmm. be aiming for Christ. We shouldn't be aiming for the comfortable life. When a pastor is modeling, oh, this is, this is what's good, then it confuses the people who are looking to you as an example of Christ. So there is a heavy responsibility uh, in, in, in many areas for the leader, but I think the common ones are the power, the possessions, the money, and um, the flesh, you know, the, um, the, 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 the pleasures, I guess, if you want to alliterate. And so I think, you know, I think, I think pastors and leaders need to model what godly expectations should be. And, and yes, I do think some are doing it well. But I think mm. many of those who are doing it well, you'll never hear about because they're in some podunk town who's like like the lady who was from, remember that podcast, living in some Midwest town somewhere, who's given her $20 check to ministry, going to some church with some pastor, no one will ever know. But heaven will tell stories of those people who uh, were satisfied with so little in this life because they saw that they had so much more in their hearts. And if we could just do that in our Christian life, boy, I think as opposed to be known for whether we believe in wearing masks or not, or getting vaccines or not, if we could become those kind of Christians, we would revolutionize this country. Hmm. I think when we have these crises, they reveal some things about us. And and you share pretty vulnerably. You've talked about your dreams were dashed. Obviously, you had a career path. And, and I've talked to a lot of people from Harvest that their career path, and I think James would look for people who were in ministry that he could do something for that then become beholden to him. And if they leave, they know, okay, my ministry is going to really take a hit. You know, but I've also, I mean, I remember talking to a guy from Harvest, a former elder, who told me he couldn't go on the record, literally, because he has this Bible study at Harvest that he, he is really important to him and he can't mm-hmm. give up. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And at this point, I don't even think many people were coming to his Bible study. Uh, and again, once we sacrifice our integrity, yeah. 
what God's calling us to do for the sake of our ministry, doesn't that reveal a certain amount of idolatry and that our identity isn't in who we are in Christ, just as as followers of his, yeah. but really how we're tied. And, and you talk about it and you've, you've alluded to it. No question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that was the biggest, like sort of come to, come to Jesus moment, but really awakening come to Lena moment. <laughs> like, like, and I mean, I had to like be honest about that. Yeah. I mean, why does it take us so long to leave? Because we prioritize the work we're doing for God over God. We prioritize the dreams we have for God over God. For God. Yeah. Correct. But they're really for us, right? Yes. And I think that's the really the work that I think most of us in, in the West need to do. And and I think, you know, in some ways, again, I, I think it's, I mean, I don't, it's so complicated because like I had another career. I could walk away. Like imagine how hard it was for me. And I didn't have any NDAs and I didn't have any, like I had a job. I continued to work as a doctor. In fact, nobody even knew this angst was going on in the hospital. Like then people read the Chicago Tribune and then they knew, wasn't that your pastor? And I'm, you know, and said like, oh, I guess no wonder he went under some stress. But, 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 but in, in general, like I had an out and it was that hard. Imagine for people who, who this, this is their livelihood. And I, I actually think that is why a lot of, like, I look at, sometimes I'm, I'm intrigued by like the colleges that have gone right now, there's Liberty universities in the news a lot. And not now anymore as much as since Jerry Falwell left, but, but some, I've listened to some of the podcasts that have told some of that story. And, and it's interesting because you wonder, well, how are so many people staying? Even now you wonder, and there, but there's a lot of good things happening there. Again, I don't want to throw every, you know, story under the bus, but, but I think it's because a lot of those Poor people who work there, after working there 10, 20 years, getting paid meagre salaries, you know, kind of becoming focused on the Christian world, you're not as competitive in, in the secular world in, in some ways. I mean, because you've given that up in order to be in Christian work. And so there is a sort of like, what else do I do? And there, there may not be the means to, okay, well, I'm going to just pack up and move myself somewhere. I can sustain myself for a couple of months. And so you become sort of tied to a system that you might not even believe in or agree in. And by the way, my book is also meant for that group. I believe that even now, mm-hmm. as, as, as we're speaking, there are people listening who are in churches and in systems that they see as corrupt, but they have no out. Or, or maybe they think, maybe they feel that they have no out. You, because yeah, God say, always makes right, a way of escape, or, right? Or, or you think I could fix things. A lot mm-hmm. of people who stay, I think, think that. And and I, but 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 I think what happens over time is you slowly start dying inside. And I think that was mm-hmm. what was happening to me. I think that slow sort of just disillusionment with with Christianity, with 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 the system, with the leadership. Uh, I, I think that sent me in a tailspin for a few years. And and. But I would say to that person, get the book, because I'm telling you, you'll see, I think there is, you know, that sense of not being alone in the way that you feel that's so encouraging. Once I started, you know, I think when you start telling the truth about your story, like I, I, that first time that happened to me, besides I me, mean, I was close with a couple of people still after I left, like there are people who knew it wasn't like I was on an island alone, but I, I remember really breaking down sort of what I was feeling with my therapist and, and there, there is something incarnational about it, ministering with other people, close people, whether it's a friend or a, a counselor or whoever, where when you tell your story, when you see that a human still cares for you, still sees you, there, it's very powerful to me. The, 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 the opportunities that I got right after I left Harvest were where I felt like I was now going to be blackballed and I was still offered opportunities to do things in ministry. To me, those were very meaningful because I felt seen and loved. And I think mm. there is, and then there's this reality that, oh my gosh, they haven't left. Like, oh, they still like me. There's a deep insecurity that grows in that. But I think when you start telling your story and you see that people haven't left you, I think there's a lot of 
power in that kind of love. And so for the person who's listening, who's sort of hiding these things and feeling the pain of being alone, I, I would encourage you to find someone safe, email us. I mean, I could say for me, email me, go to my website, email, we'd love to you know, pray for you. There is some victory and freedom that can be had simply by telling your story. That's why victims of abuse have been you know, you watch them, they come on Twitter, they share their stories and you go, man, why, why now? And why, but there, because, because there's a lot of reasons why not till now, because there's fear and there's shame. And, but when they do it, you see sort of an opening of their souls and as power that grows out of that. And, and there's a boldness. I've seen it. I can name two, three, four faces that come to mind right off the bat of m- many more right now being played out. The SBC's meeting this week. I mean, it's women who have spoken out there and you just, you know, has there been some negative effect to those women, to those women? Absolutely. Has there been negative effects to elders of churches who have walked away and said no more? Absolutely. But you see a soaring of their souls as they come to terms with who God is and how God works. And, and they might wait two, three, five, ten years. I think for David Corning, he was maybe 10 years in the waiting before he saw the truth unfold to the degree that he thought it would. And, and I know that, and, and he's a, this, this man who used to be an elder of the church, probably the first one who left that church. And I think, you know, you'll never hear from him. I'll never hear he doesn't have a social media account, but you know that in his soul, he knows God, you are fair God, you are good. And God, you do see, and I'm not the one who decides how long. And I'm knowing that man, he's godly. He's still probably to this day. This doesn't take joy in the in the demise of a church. Doesn't take joy in the demise of a leader. But but the grieving process, but also the sense of vindication, which is so heavy in the Psalms and so encouraging. Those are many of the passages that encouraged me during that season in my life. Was the passages where David literally says to God, "Vindicate me," over and over again. And 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 I think eventually we'll all, you know, who are trying to live by the truth, trying to walk humbly and under authority. I think eventually. Eventually, God is going to show you that he is indeed aware of every single tear that falls out of your eyes and is closer than you feel him to be in those seasons. Hey, you bring up Dave Corning. I remember the day that James McDonald was fired, and my first feeling was relief. And my second was, I thought of Betsy Corning, his wife. And I thought, how easy is it for me that I was sued by James McDonald and within six months— he gets fired and there is this vindication, right? Um, I know for you it was much longer because you left where, like 2013 or somewhere around there, and he wasn't fired till 2019, January, I think. Um, But I thought of of her and all the years that she suffered, and I know she said to me that she felt like she had PTSD. Um, and, And I think, you know, at its core, what a lot of people are dealing with is this disappointment with God yeah. because um, they're innocent. Yeah. And so often they see the innocent. You bring up the SBC and those poor women who have been sexually abused, and then and then they're blamed for it. I mean, it's unbelievable what's, what's happened. And they've seen their abusers go on to be leaders in other churches, and it's, it's just, it's, it's awful. And yeah. you think, God, you're, you're supposedly a God of justice, a God of fairness, and I know for me, this this isn't my first rodeo either. You know, it's like you said, there were other things in my life. I remember back when uh, I was in college and I struggled with four years of depression. Mm. And I'm like, why? I, I'm, I'm, I'm following you. I'm doing everything a good Christian is supposed to do. Why am I so depressed, you know? And I remember reading a book by Phil Yancey called mm. Disappointment with God. And I've, I've heard some people read it and say they, they, did, they hated it. But for I me— I loved it. I loved it too. And the one thing that spoke to me was, was Job that at the end of his, you know, after this wager that, you know, we're, we're led into it as, as a reader, we know what's going on. Um, 
but Job never finds out. And when God finally speaks to him, he doesn't say, oh, l- let me back this up and give right. you the backstory. You know, let me tell you what's really going on. He doesn't do that. Yeah. He just says, where were you when I formed the earth's foundations? You know, were you yeah. there? And, and he basically lets Job know how little he is. And at, at some point, I think these sorts of struggles reveal, do we trust in God's goodness mm. when life is horribly cruel and unfair? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. A hundred percent. You're right. And I think, you know, I think this is the good outcome of this scenario. I mean, when you, you know, in the intro or the preface, I, I, I say that a friend, I remember a millennial read the book and she had some feedback early on and, and, and she had asked me, you know, can you see anything good come out of your deconstruction? And again, my first thought was heck no, I want to, I never want to do that again. Mm. Like, I, I don't want to go through this every few years. I don't want that to be my thing. I mean, there will be, like you said, there have been other times in my life, never as that didn't seem as heavy. And I think the heaviness again came because the, it was so tied in like to me, church and God are so tied in. And, 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 and I think the good part of it is, I think that there is, a, again, I go back to the sense of a big God, but I don't mean it in a far away God. I mean, it a big God in the sense that I, I trust that God sees now, like for a moment, I didn't, there's a season where it wasn't that I didn't think he saw, I just felt like he didn't see me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think, and I, I think it felt like he didn't prefer me. And then, and the scenario with church would like, it kind of followed with other things. So, you know, in the Christian publishing industry and in the speaker industry, like it just I started feeling, I'm not like them. Like, and, but I think that that idea, you know, I think ultimately, why do we come to God? Well, because, because we find someone who loves us so much that he died for us. And, and yet, I mean, again, I kind of go back to like, where do we lose that? In the Christian mm-hmm. walk, and again, I go. To, I, I kind of think about like the greatest tragedy of the American church movement now, which is going through a leadership upheaval. But which, by the way, is a gift of God's grace. I think. Yes. I think that it's not mm-hmm. an accident that there's not one but ten people that we can name. It's tragic, but it's not an accident because I think God is moving the 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 stirring this church. Like I think the church is being purified. I tend to think now that God kind of agrees. I could be wrong, but I think, I think that God is proving a point to to American Christians. If we could just listen without getting in our own way. And, and the saddest part for me has been, the saddest part for me has been to see a lack of, even now, like, I mean, we mentioned some of the works like Driscoll, like where's the apology? Where's the repentance? I think about James, what happens to these pastors that go through this and there's a lack of recognition of, you know what? I may have been wrong here. I may need to repent. And, and I don't know what it'll take. Like I, I think about my life too. And I, I, I think it, it may take them getting saved. You, you know, I, I can, I can't, I don't know hearts, but that is a bold thing to say. And I think Julie, I think, <laughs> I think it's hard. To I mean, I'm not saying I know that for sure. It, it's hard to disagree sometimes. And I think, you know, I think that's, you know, I, sometimes it makes me introspect more and thank God, mm-hmm. I don't want to be deluded. I don't want to be self-deluded. I'm very aware mm-hmm. of the sin in my life and I'm very repentant of the sin in my life. And I can tell areas where I struggle to change. And so I, I quickly moved to me because I think, well, I need to, I need to get rid of this before I can, but there is a sense of, of bewilderment. You're right. I think of a, a, a sermon, oddly enough, by Bill Hybels, which by the way, Willow Creek had a huge impact on my life when I was coming out of college, Christian college, had a pretty disillusioning experience, and then came to Willow Creek 
And Don Cousins was preaching when I first mm. came, uh, who was the assistant pastor, and he was doing the whole guy. thing on, on, yeah, he is a great guy, and on the Ten Commandments, and, you know, it, it, it really helped me put my faith back together mm. at Willow Creek. And I do remember when Bill showed up on in September after his summer break, I was like, who's this guy? Like, I like Dawn. But anyway, <laughs> Willow was, was huge in my story, and I'm glad I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes at the time, because... I was ministered to from that church, and I'm not saying that I know the eternal destiny of these pastors, but I will say this, and, I, and I'm quoting a Bill Hybel sermon that he gave, and he said, one of the marks of authentic Christianity is a changed view of sin. It's not that we never sin. You're you're talking about the sanctification process. That's a process of you know becoming more like Jesus, of sinning less. But when you are not grieved— over your sin, when it's as glaring right. as it is in these cases. You got to wonder. That's a really good quote, too, by the way. The Apostle Paul said, work out, work out your salvation with fear yeah. and trembling. Test whether or not you are actually in the faith. And I think this applies for the pastors who have been a part of it. It also applies to those of us who yeah. have been Supported. wounded. And it's like, why did our... Did, did our dashed hopes and dreams and expectations bring us to a crisis of faith. Didn't Jesus tell us there would be wolves? Didn't he tell us there would be false teachers? Didn't he tell us there would be this kind of pain? And so I do think there's a crisis of faith. But as you say, the reconstruction, and Mm. you've gone through this. I thought it was interesting in your book, you actually have a diagram of, (laughs) and maybe you can walk us through some of those steps of, of kind of Here's the natural progression of, of how this works um, from your own experience, but also I know you've talked to a lot of people of reconstructing a faith. A lot of people just stay in the deconstruction, right? Yeah. We have a lot of, and, and I understand that. I, I, right. I grieve over it because I think, you know, who have we in heaven but you? I mean, what else right. is there if there's not God? Yeah. Well, look, I think, yeah, I mean, I think to to go to that chart, I mean, I think the chart just, again, just gives words to, like, you. people could be like, well, I'm not deconstructing. I think, you know, what is that? There's people who stop believing. That's like the Josh Harris's who no longer, you know, wrote a book, now regrets it, left the church, now that, you know, and and we see ourselves as far from that. But it started somewhere. And so the chart that I created at the back of the book sort of shows you the progression of what I think starts, this painful process happens, it leads to disappointment. And I almost think every deconstruction story, and, and in order to deconstruct, there has to have been strong faith. And so it doesn't surprise me that many of these stories are ex-worship leaders, People who went to Bible school, there's a lot of people who in the deconstruction forums that you'll see on Instagram posts, every comment's like, it would shock you how many people are like, oh, I I lost my faith in Bible college. And and so it doesn't surprise Mm -hmm. me because uh, people who believe strongly, then, you know, whenever deep pain comes in their life and questions that they cannot explain, uh, I think the process of what are the emotions that go on here, there's a deep disillusionment that happens that leads to deconstruction. And, And if now, if you could just rebuild on correct building blocks, and, and so what, what happens is a lot of people ask questions, but they don't get good answers. And so they become cynical. They eventually leave. And so 
in the breakdown of reconstruction versus versus disbelief eventually why does one person like myself still walks in faith believes god more strongly now than i did before trusts his goodness more strongly i think i, I i'm more interested in my view of god has become more biblical now and and more in, more in line with who he really is than who i've made him to be and so mm. so in deconstruction you go to disbelief what you do is and i think we see this we i, I put sort of the the, the the action that happens here we expose ourselves to others so i talked earlier about telling the truth now now if so how we do it in 2021 we go on social media and so we become naked and authentic people applaud our authenticism and so that exposure to others makes us feel good for a moment but the problem is that people at the end of the day don't care like they read your post they like it they move on but now you're stuck with authentic mm. to someone who's not really authentic back i don't know you might find a new community and then now any which philosophy and, and belief and is dumped your way and then and you might feel love from people who believe something completely false like it doesn't just because your love doesn't but doesn't mean that that's true not all love you know like you kind of go back well god does love but don't want to get too philosophical here but just because you're cared for by community doesn't make that community truthful and so there's more, you know, there's grace and truth. And so the problem is when you're exposed to others, you get a lot of grace, but no truth. So you need a balance still. And so the other side of it, the reconstruction, there is still an exposure. But I think this is very critical because I think the difference is rather than just exposing yourself to others, which is our society now, our cultural standard of the highest form of, of an evolved man. Now we expose our hearts to God. And so, so that's the key, I think, that happens when people deconstruct, they, they, they shot God out. This is why I think so much of the tension that we have is with God. And we need to expose ourselves to God because as you, how do you do that? Well, through the rhythms of faith, you might not want to read the Bible like before. You, you know what? You're, you may need to throw away your Bible reading plan. You, you might not need to, you know, you're so obsessed. Like if I just keep doing my devotions, things will work out. No, you might need to actually for a change, get rid of that and just be with God. Like, I don't know what that looks like. It might just be focusing on one verse it might for a week be not reading the bible per se but but you have it like like i can't tell you how many nights i would wake up in the middle of the night and psalm 23 would just come on my mind and i just mm. say the whole thing i don't know where that came, but i just knew that there was someone bigger than me who was still near me and I, it would it happened for months like clockwork mm. but, but it was a slow unfolding of an exposure is it wrong to tweet to, to no but if that's all you're doing you're never exposing your heart to god you're never gonna find faith and truth and true love you're gonna find sympathy you're gonna find empathy you're gonna find someone who for a minute might give you a high five so that you feel better about yourself you might even get a new book deal with a publisher to write about your experience you know in, in, you know as weird or or what was that the the debacle with josh where he then gave courses you know about how to <laughs> right, right. right and he apologized to his yeah. credit i like the guy actually and i and, and and i never felt like his book by the way was this bible of dating in fact i remained single so it didn't help me much but I should get my money back for that. <laughs> I guess I really guess dating goodbye forever. I wish I could find it again. But 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 I think that's the key is if we could just expose ourselves to God again, to the rhythms of faith, quiet down the noise, listen to the spirit. I started going on walks during COVID. I mean, early in COVID, even before leading up to COVID, I found that going for a walk and I did it for a while. I would not take any worship songs for, you know, I, I think we turn everything into a to-do activity for God. And so if I was going yeah. on a walk, I would have to listen to a podcast. I would have to listen to a worship song because now it justifies it. Now it's a spiritual walk. There was a season I started taking nothing and mm. I didn't see it as a wasted hour. I don't think I'm the only one with that problem right now. We, we have noisy souls. And I think yeah. part, part of that, and by the way, Julie, I think part of that has been a result of this crazy church movement mm -hmm. that is loud and lights 
and fog and excitement and revival. And, and I think it's gotten us so noised up, which is why many of the millennials I leave have for the past 10 years, we've heard them leaving the evangelical church who more Eucharist based service. Why? Because they're tired of the noise. And I think in many ways, people who deconstruct, that's sort of what the journey that ends up being where I'm tired of the noise, but now rather than tuning in just to whatever, you know, philosophy is being thrown at you by the world, tune into the noise, to the voice of the spirit. That's what Elijah did. Many others in scripture. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus regularly didn't deconstruct, but he regularly took time apart and quieted his soul, which was why he was always so like he's perfect, but but he you never see Jesus upset. You know, I know I get like he's God man, I get it. Like, but but still he lived in temptations like ours. But I think I think he built that into his psyche, into his life, into his system, into his way. And I think again, um, we need more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's ultimately what will lead back to faith. I love that at the end of your book and and I hope people don't miss this because you have a little afterward. <laughs> and you talk about, and you've been open about your disappointment with the fact that you didn't marry the love of your life. And yet you say you realize that your great romance of your life, mm-hmm. look, I'm going to get choked up. Um, it's Jesus. Right. And he's been for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm married and I love my husband. But Jesus has been the mm. one main romance of my life. Right. And all these other things, and it's not that we don't need the church because the church is his bride and, and, and we can't ignore his people. We, I don't think we need all the things that go along with church in America, but we need his people. We need community. We need to pray for each other. But I think so often these sorts of things bring us back to yeah. our great love affair with Jesus. And if we yeah. didn't have that, if we were if we were pulled into um church because of the other things, the excitement, the whatever that was there and we didn't love Jesus, then we we really do have nothing once our mm-hmm. church experience implodes. But I have been so moved by people hurt 10 times more than me. And who have seen, you know, I talking to Dr. Diane Langberg about, you know, we've had some real conversations. I'm like, how, how do you how do you deal with all the stories of abuse that you deal with at mm. the hands of so-called Christians and keep your faith? And and she says, you know, it comes down to Jesus. And I've, I've had to find him in this. Just, you know, if you could speak to those right now who are you know, in the midst of this, but trying to find, you know, rekindle that love with Jesus. You just, you, you just start declaring the truth to yourself. They're so basic, right? I mean, but, but, but when did, why did we make it so complicated? The Christian faith is a lot easier than we make it out to be. If we could Mm -hmm. just get back to that place of um, understanding again, the love of the father. And for me, it has taken um, brokenness, deep brokenness in my heart to, see the depth of his love. And yeah, that afterward, uh, I wrote it because I felt like I needed just to, it was like, there was a missing thing. I just felt like, like it's a sad story, the book, but there's a lot of hope in it. And I think people say that, but, but it's more than hope. I think the afterward was my way of saying, no, listen, it wasn't just that there's hope. It's even more like hope is like, you're still waiting for something to happen. Whereas the afterward was my way of saying, I am living the life 
of those dreams that I wanted. I am living the life of those riches that I've wanted. And yeah, it's every, you know, you think about even like humanly relationships, every relationship has ups and downs and seasons of dryness. And and, and it's it's a love story in its most basic format. And, and I don't mean it in any weird dramatic way. I just mean, it really is. It's a love story that will be, you know, the gap of it, the, the, the apex of it will be when we see Jesus face to face, which is why one of my favorite verses in scripture is when Peter, Peter of all people, like I love Peter. And at the end in his, in his letter to the epistles, he's, he just says like we're going to see him someday. And, and the joy that is inexpressible when you see him because you love him so much. And I think mm-hmm. Peter understood that at such a deep level because he had seen such deep, humiliating brokenness. And mm-hmm. to me, again, that's the picture of how did Peter come back? He didn't, Jesus came to him. He was out on his boat fishing. It was Jesus who came to him. Jesus does the first step. He's come to us right now. I believe if you're listening and you're in that place of hurting, I genuinely believe that God would use this show to remind you that he has already taken his steps towards you. And the question is, will you say, yes, Lord, whatever it looks like. And I'm going to learn from those things. I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to respond. Yes. To the invitation of coming into a deeper relationship with you. And that I promise you, you'll never be disappointed in. Well, Lena, I know we could talk about this for hours. I think you and I could sit down, <laughs> uh, definitely unpack this for a really long time. But this has been rich, and I just really appreciate you. I, I appreciate, again, your integrity, your uh, authenticity and vulnerability in this book. And and I just I just pray for God's anointing and blessing thank on you. it and your, your ministry. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, it, we did talk a lot, a lot, but it's been so much fun. Thanks, Julie. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And just a reminder, if you'd like a copy of Lena's book, Fractured Faith, we're offering those to anyone who gives a gift of $25 or more to The Roy's Report this month. So if you'd like to support this ministry and get a copy, copy of Fractured Faith, just go to julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com slash donate. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about this podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day and God bless. Mm